my definition of success is being in the process of getting better and helping everybody around me get better. Mm -hmm. So if I am getting a little bit better, or if somehow in today's podcast, I'm helping anybody out there, then this is a success. It's not about some extrinsic goal that you set. Yeah, I set a lot of goals. Sure. But the success is in improving. And if you can evolve every day, you can be successful every day. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Brad Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Jay Steinfeld. Jay founded and was the CEO of Blinds.com the world's number one online window covering retailer. He bootstrapped the company in 1996 for just $3,000. Blinds.com was acquired by Home Depot in 2014. He remained as its CEO and later joined the Home Depot online leadership team. And then after stepping away from those roles in early 2020, he teaches entrepreneurship at Rice's Jones Graduate School of Business and has increased his involvement on numerous private boards and serves as director of the public company Masonite. He also supports numerous charities. Jay's newest book, Lead from the Core, The Four Principles for Profit and Prosperity, was just published on November 30th, 2021. And as we discussed on the episode, it actually just hit Barnes & Noble's bestseller list. Without further ado, Here's my awesome conversation with Jay Steinfeld. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with Direct Clicks. Direct Clicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, DirectClicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club, and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. 
for just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Jay Steinfeld, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Bradley. It's a pleasure. Excited to have you. So we always start with background and origin story and your background and origin story, how you got to where you are today is fascinating. So for people that don't know you, why don't you take us back and bring us to present day? Well, I don't know how far back you want to go, but I think what they might want to know is that I had a small little shop with my wife, a little shop at home drapery shop called Laura's Draperies. My wife's name, of course, was Naomi. And we went to people's homes and helped them figure out the best drapery or blind. So we'd go to their home in our van full of samples. Well, that was 1987. And in 1993, I read this small little article that's talked about the World Wide Web, the information superhighway. And of course, I said, I don't know what that is. And it said something about email. So I said, all right, on a lark has really just an experiment. I decided to set up a website for Laura's Drapers, Laura's.com for $1,500. Had no e-commerce. We didn't sell anything because, well, at the time, I didn't think you could sell anything online. I didn't know anything about that. And then the next year, I saw this company selling books online, Amazon. I said, wow, you can sell stuff online. That's awesome. So maybe I should sell online too. And of course, everybody said, that's a stupid idea. That's a harebrained idea. You want people to measure and install themselves. They can't see the product. They can't touch the product. They can't see the colors. And they don't even know what the internet is. And by the way, they don't even want to give you your credit card because they don't trust the internet. I said, well, it's just an experiment. It's just something that's $3,000. What do I have to lose? Hmm. So I did. I started a website to make buying blinds and shades a no-brainer. And we call it No Brainer Blinds. That was the original name, nobrainerblinds.com. Started out of my house, 4815 Pine Street, which sounded like a house. So I changed the address from 4815 Pine Street to One Brainer Tower. So it was No Brainer Blinds, One Brainer Tower, Bel Air, Texas, which sounded a lot bigger, a lot bigger. And there's all sorts of other stuff that I did in the early days to make us seem a lot bigger. But we were the only ones selling blinds online. So I did say, truthfully, we were the world's most popular and trusted online source for blinds, which we were the only ones. And then we just grew it slowly but surely, hired a few people. And I was doing all the sales out of my car. Literally, they would call into the Laura's Drapery showroom and they'd say, all of our customer service representatives are busy. So they'd call me in my car I'd pull off the side of the road in between my appointments And I would just take these calls from the front seat of my van. That's how it all started for a few years. This was like, I never understood what the internet was going to be. I never had a vision as to what we could become, what I could become. I was just trying to get a little bit better and try something as an experiment, as I've said. And eventually, we built it to become truly, by far, the world's most popular and trusted online source for blinds. And in 2014, 13 years after I went full-time online, we sold to Home Depot for a lot of money. And that was an awesome experience and stayed Mm -hmm. on for six years after that till last year in May, 2020, after being on the Home Depot online leadership team and remaining a CEO of Blinds.com, stepped away and now I'm on boards 
giving back, teaching at the business school at Rice. And I wrote a book to help people do what I did. And that's why I'm here to help people. I love it. I love it. There's so many things I'm just going to unpack from that story. I do want to tell a listening audience, the first time I heard of Jay and your story was on the John Werlow's podcast, Built to Sell. We'll put a link into the two episodes that you've been on his podcast that walk through really the acquisition and more of the building of blinds.com. But for today, we're going to focus a lot on kind of the principles and distillation that you have in the book there. But I do want to ask a couple of things more about your story. Okay. Two things stand out to me. One is just the importance of taking the next directionally correct step. You did not necessarily to yourself know that that was going to blow up to be what it was, but you felt like, I'm just trying to get better. I'm just trying to grow the business. And so this felt like the incrementally, the directionally correct step to be able to take. Can you just speak to that and why that's important as business owners for us to do so? Absolutely. But I'm going to take it a step further. I don't think you have to necessarily take the correct step. You just have to experiment. And when you experiment, Bradley, you don't know if it's the right step. It's a step. So I think you really need to say, you don't know whether it's going to be right, but you weigh the risk. You look at what's the downside. For me, the downside in doing the website at the beginning was $1,500. So what? An ad cost me $3,000 in the Houston Chronicle. $3,000, I started no-brainer blinds. Mm -hmm. What was that downside? Not a whole lot. So Mm -hmm. I think when you're experimenting, you need to realize that most of the time your experiments are not going to work because if they work all the time, they're not experiments. They're just barely improvements. Mm -hmm. And that's the safe way to go. Mm -hmm. Now I'm risk averse. I'm risk averse. I hate to gamble. So it's about measured risk. It's Mm -hmm. experiment a lot, really fast. Experiment with everything. Mm -hmm. Experiment with how you hire. Experiment how you sell, how you advertise, how you onboard people. Every process can be improved upon. Everything. How you even talk with other people. Just how you hire contractors. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, it can get better. And you have to experiment with trying it because if you don't experiment, how are you going to know? Don't you think also, too, and that was kind of the second part I wanted to take from that, which is oftentimes posturing projects or new initiatives because change and change management, there's a whole term around it, can sometimes be difficult. But if we posture something as a 90 day experiment, we allow ourselves to be committed enough. But then if it doesn't work out, hey, you know what? It was an experiment to begin with and we can change and pivot and go a different path. It doesn't even have to be 90 days. Mm-hmm. Start off with how you order salad in a restaurant. Don't just order blue cheese the whole time. Try Thousand Island. Start really small. Yeah. And in business, all you need to do is try something that you're going to try for a day, mm-hmm. one ter- one time. Mm-hmm. There's minimal risk with that. We had at Blinds.com two giant test tubes. And one test tube was marbles for all the experiments that did not work. That test tube was full. Next to it was a giant test tube. These were five-foot test tubes, were marbles that did work. And they were only up about 10 15%, so that everybody could see, take some chances, try things. We understand it's not going to work. Be in an environment where you tell people, let's try this together. We don't know if it's going to work, but what do we have to lose? Let's Mm -hmm. give it a shot. 
you don't even need to wait 90 days. Most experiments you can figure out in less than two weeks. You've got some sense. And just start really, really small. And eventually, you build momentum with your experiments. And you decide with everybody's input, where are we going to experiment this time? Mm-hmm. What are we going to try? Don't even call it an experiment if that makes you queasy. Mm-hmm. Call it a test. Let's test it and see if it works. I think actually that's something that some people might want to think about. I say experiment without fear of failure, but that in itself fears people. <laughs> I think just testing, little test, and you can eventually build up your testing muscles and start experimenting more. And occasionally you make a bigger test, but never, ever bet the ship. I never go all in. Mm-hmm. It's always just a little bit. So if I lose, it's okay. And therefore you have nothing to fear. Maybe a little humiliation, a little pride, yeah, a little money, a little time, but it's not that great. I love that. I'm an avid reader. The first time I ever heard of core values might have been in Built to Last, Jim Collins' book, I think. I think it is. Where did you first hear about core values? And obviously, we're going to begin to talk about, obviously, your four E's that you discuss in the book. But where did core values initially with your store begin? And then how did you first begin to kind of start to integrate them? And why did you feel like that that's important? Because listen, we're not the first people to talk about core values, right? And then the second part of that question, if you want to continue on is, why do so few business owners take the time to establish their core values? Well, that's a lot. Let's see if I can dice it down into some manageable chunks. First of all, when I started, I was a CPA. I got my BBA in accounting. So I knew debits and credits, black and white, linear thinking. So I didn't think core values meant anything. They were soft, squishy ideals that were created by the HR department, put on a plaque and hung on a wall, and never thought of again. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. It was when my wife, unfortunately, Naomi, passed away from breast cancer after we'd been married for 25 years in 2002, almost 20 years ago, that I started thinking, what makes me tick? What are my core values? All these existential things that people generally at some time in their life think about. Unfortunately, it took the death of my wife. And then I realized that I like to experiment. You've heard me talk about that a few times. I'd like to evolve. I require to get better. And because of the death of her, Naomi, and my mother, who also died at the age of 46, also from cancer, I had this appreciation of time and of life. And even though that I'm healthy and hopefully will be living a long time, I am scared that I am going to die potentially tomorrow. And that not fear of death, but the appreciation of it causes me to just find out what can I do? What am I capable of? And what are other people capable of? And as a leader, how can I help them become the best that they can be while I am also trying to be the best I can be? So that's how I came about it. And that introspection, including the book Built to Last, which I actually, in my book, Lead from the Core, have that as one of my 19 game changer books, because it was a pivotal book for me early when I was thinking about who I am, what makes me tick. And these core values are not goals that I read in somebody else's book. What I understood was, this is what makes me tick. This is me. So therefore, one is evolve continuously. The second is to experiment without fear. Third is express yourself. What you want is as much data as you can get from as many people as you can get from disparate views. 
And the more data you can get from anyone, the better your decision is going to be. And the fourth is enjoy the ride. Have fun. Why not? So when you're working really hard and doing things that nobody has ever done before, and you're doing this with a team, and you're doing the things that were near impossible and experimenting and trying things and with the failure and the exploration through the ambiguity, that's fun. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And all the people that I hired were those types of people, people Mm -hmm. who enjoy experimenting, who evolve already in their personal life. So when you joined blinds.com, you were joining this tight, not family, but team of people who all wanted to get better themselves and help each other get better. And when you have an organization where everybody is trying to get better and everybody is helping everybody else get better, well, what happens? The whole organization gets better. You have automatic excellence. I call it autonomous excellence because the company and the people and the customer experience, all stakeholders are improving. And when you have a business where everybody's looking out for everyone, everyone's supporting, that's really fun. And that's why our turnover was only 8% for many years. Even after we sold to Home Depot, Home Depot allowed us to maintain our autonomy and maintain the culture that actually allowed us to do all these things and beat Home Depot and beat Amazon and beat everybody. Hmm. That was our secret. That was our defensibility. It was the fact that we were never going to deny our ability to try something else and do the things that people told us were impossible. I love it. I had my own stories around core values. And ultimately, in every one of the organizations I'm a part of, we establish our core four. Ironically, we call them the core four because we always know how many there are. Okay. (laughs) And it rhymes. So it makes it easy. Yeah. We actually have four of them too. And I'll tell you, I didn't tell you this prior to us starting because I wanted to share it on the show. My son, Cooper, plays grammar school basketball. He's in fifth grade. And for every year he's played grammar school basketball, we established core four values for his team. And it's now taken all the way through not only grammar school, but all the way up into the high school ranks that they establish their own core values and identify, like you said, who they are. So I am such a huge believer. This is why I was so excited about having you on. What are a couple of... I just want to say one other thing that maybe helped the people who still say to themselves, I get that. I get core values, but I need to make money. How is that going to actually bring in money? Well, we were able to develop technology because of the people we were able to attract. We brought builders. Nobody wanted to work for us unless they were a builder. They wanted to create things because we knew and they knew by working at blinds.com to be able to build something of consequence, we helped people become consequential and build significant work. So we were able to attract people by paying lower salaries than all the other big oil companies that are in Houston, where I, where I am, Chevron, Exxon, all those companies, all the engineering companies too, would pay a lot more. But we got the cool programmers to work with us because we were doing great work. And then if your retention is low, you don't have these hiring costs either. I'm sorry, if your retention is high and your turnover is low, your hiring expenses are lower. Your training expenses are lower. You actually are able to invest more in each person because they're staying and you don't have to worry about, well, I can't spend a lot of money on them because I know they're going to be gone in 90 days or a year. Well, you invest everything in them to help them become better than they ever believed possible. That was actually our express purpose. 
It wasn't about being the best in the world at selling blinds or anything like that. It was to help people become better than they ever believed possible. That was the purpose of blinds.com with the four E's supporting those. So all your costs creeped down. We were able to build technology that rocked just really all the things that we could do with just a hundred people and not a whole lot of money. I started off with very little money. Mm. How do we do it? It was the core values that actually enabled us to build things of significance by using less money than people would think we needed. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a state farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com and be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line, and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. I think it's so important that what you just mentioned there, whenever you talked about, because that's actually what I was going to ask you, is around your express purpose that you said, because it wasn't about being the world's largest retailer, although you ironically said that to begin (laughs) with, and you ended up doing that, but it was actually through the purpose was all about the people in the organization first that then led to that success. No question. Bernie Marcus, who was one of the founders of Home Depot, said, you take care of your people and everything else takes care of itself. And that's true. We thought of our own employees before we thought of our customers because mm-hmm. we wanted to bring humanity back into the business mm-hmm. because we wanted to work on personal development, generosity, mm-hmm. and respect. Is that too much to ask? Just respect people? That's what we did. And who wouldn't want to be in an organization like that where they truly felt respected, where the CEO says, I don't know everything. I don't even know what I'm doing sometimes. And I'm not sure what we're about to do is going to work. I mean, everybody feels that to some time. So why not admit it and just say, let's all try it together. And if it works, great. We'll do more of it. 
If not, believe me, we're stopping. We don't want to waste money either. Sure. I've heard you say about how you, because you just mentioned about attracting great people, how you used your core values in the recruiting process to actually go through. Can you just talk about that and why that's important? Well, if people are uncomfortable with change, if people are uncomfortable with ambiguity and not knowing where they're going, at least in our environment, they were not going to last. So it's better to find out before they even get there whether they have that makeup or not. So I'm not saying that my core values should be your core values or should be anyone else's core values. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is know what they are and then actually hire for that. They've got to have the skill. You want them to be smart. But what we did was for, let's say, people who wants to evolve continuously, we would ask the question, okay, Bradley, tell me something that you're doing right now in your personal life to get better at anything. And we'd be looking for answers like, well, I'm taking a cooking class. I'm taking flying lessons. I'm taking a how to coach better, or I'm taking a how to stop smoking class, or I'm going online to YouTube and learning how to build old radios. Anything like that was a good answer. Or to test for experiment without fear, we'd say, tell me about some things that you've done that were uncomfortable, that you really had no idea. And how'd you feel about that? And if they couldn't come up with good answers on these, we would not hire them because we knew they'd be uncomfortable and they would eventually leave. And we didn't want to take somebody who was just skilled in a position. And then we try to imbue them, orient them to have our core values. We wanted them to have in their own DNA from the very start, those core values, because then we had some talent. So we were looking for talent, not position players. And we knew that with those core values, if it didn't work out in that one position, we'd move them someplace else. We always knew that a person really had the core values. There was likely some place in the organization for them. So if it wasn't working out, we'd say, huh. I wonder if that person would be better as a project manager instead of a finance director. And as we built the organization, of course, all the levels became different positions. My role as a CEO changed when I had seven people versus when I had 500. Mm -hmm. It was a different job, completely different job. And every job changes as the company gets bigger. And as you see what that position requires, sometimes that person doesn't rise up to what that position requires as the business builds. But maybe there's someplace else for them to be. And that's what we wanted to always do. And if the person was going to potentially say to you, and it was really important to talk to them every month, like, what do you want out of life? What do you want out of this position? Where do you want to be in five years next year? And if you were honest and they knew you really wanted them to be the best they could be, they would be honest back. And they'd say, you know, I really want to leave and be a CEO somewhere, or I want to start my own company. Mm -hmm. And then what we would do is coach them and say, well, stay with us, and we're going to help you get there. Mm. Now, who wouldn't stay when their boss is saying, I know you're going to leave, but I want you to be the best that you can be, and I know you're going to leave anyway, so I might as well help you while you're helping me. Mm. And that's counterintuitive. People yeah, don't necessarily ask for people if they want to stay. And I thought that that candor was by hearing that they wanted to leave actually allowed them to stay much longer. I don't know how many people said, I was thinking I was going to stay at Blinds.com for a year or two max. And 10 years later, they're still there loving it. Still with that end goal to think that one day they're going to have their own business. But because they're becoming so much better than they were the day before, 
improving every day, evolving throughout the day is great. And one of the absolute best things of my career is seeing all the people who have left the company mm-hmm. and have now started their own companies or have very high level jobs in other companies. And I look around and say, wow, he's doing that. She's doing that. Man, it's like my children growing up and becoming adults and having real jobs. It's better. Yeah, It's not as good as seeing your kids being self-sufficient. I will say that for sure. But it's close. And having that many people, scores of people, maybe a hundred people who have done that, it's just so rewarding and so gratifying because your job as a leader is to build other leaders. And when they know that is what you really want to do, I mean, authentically, not just to get buy-in, but because you really care about them. It's a completely different deal. The last thing on that is about generosity, which I mentioned a little earlier. So many people think that what you need to do in business is do the least amount that you can get away with. That doesn't make sense to me. To me, for every person, for every customer, you want to do the most that you can do and still have it make sense in the long-term best interest of the company. It doesn't mean you give everybody a million dollars every day, but you be as generous as you can with development, with candor, with respect, with opportunity, and with money, as long as it makes sense for the business. So think about what you can do more for people, and you will actually make a lot more. It just is, for everybody listening to this, is it so obvious about just how authentic you were in driving home those core values? I mean, it is. And I think it's important that your core values and what you instilled in the organization and ultimately what Home Depot saw as one of the big values of the company and the culture was authentically who you were. It wasn't aspirational. This is important. It wasn't aspirational. Along my first two, maybe three times, but for sure two, times that I tried to instill core values, they were all aspirational. I said, what is my organization not? What is my business not? I'll just go make some core values that will hopefully flip it. And then I read an article from Patrick Lencioni from 2002, Harvard Business Review. It said, your core values, here's what they can't be. Here's what they should not be. And one of them is aspirational. And when I read that, I was like, honestly, all of these are aspirational. This is what I want us to be. This is not actually who I am. This is not who the organization is. And it's so obvious about that evolve continuously was not something you said, you put on the wall, you painted, you stenciled, you did. You didn't do all the, I mean, you might have, but ultimately it was who really the organization was. And I think that is so important for people to pick up. It's who I am. It's what I do. My definition of success is being in the process of getting better and helping everybody around me get better. Mm -hmm. So if I am getting a little bit better, or if somehow in today's podcast, I'm helping anybody out there, then this is a success. It's not about some extrinsic goal that you set. Yeah, I set a lot of goals. Sure. But the success is in improving. And if you can evolve every day, you can be successful every day. You can be successful multiple times during the day because of all of the influence you're having over other people. Like you learn something bad about yourself, a deficiency, and you go, awesome. Now I've found something else that I can get better at. Or you hire somebody else to do it because you know you'll never get good at it. So these are all opportunities. I know you hear that. But really, when you hear that there's you've got a flaw, it's just, I mean, I will have a tremendous amount of runway and headroom to fix all my flaws because that'll never happen. I will never be as good as I could be, ever. I don't think anybody is ever as good as they can be. There is always room. 
And if you're as good as you can be, if you think that, you're on the way down. That's so true. A few years ago, my son was, he played with Legos. He doesn't now. He's kind of aged out of it a little bit. And my daughter, who's about four years younger than him, comes steaming rolling through and knocks over all of his Legos. And of course, he gets upset and like hits his sister, you know, and they're yeah. knocking over. And I happen to go over there and I said, Coop, you know, the best part of Legos is the building, not in the having. I said, now you get the opportunity to rebuild them. Why don't you bring your sister in? And he said, you know what? You're right. Or something to that effect. And so they got back to actually building. And the reason I bring that up is because of what you just said. When you said, I want to be in the process of getting better with, for our businesses, it's in the building that we become somebody different, yes. not in necessarily of the having of the thing. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. That's precisely my point. Okay. So what are a couple of things you can head leaders off in terms of, okay, I've heard you. I want to go through the process of establishing my core values in my organization. What are a few of the things that you can help us, biggest mistakes for us to avoid? Maybe a couple best practices in addition to what we've already talked about. Well, if you don't mind, I just wrote a whole book about that topic. So Lead from the Core, the Four Principles for Profit and Prosperity is all about that. I wrote it so that the employees who were at uh, Blinds.com, when I stepped away, which was last year, they would have this in order to know what to do and that all new employees coming in would know what brought us to where we were and continue to use that to grow. So that would be a good step. This could go a lot of directions. Where would you like me to go with that? I shared, obviously, just that one around don't make your core values aspirational. I think it's always helpful for you to also share some of maybe a couple of the biggest mistakes you see when people are either trying to develop them or instill them in the organization. Yeah. The most important one is not to read them in a book and say, yeah, that's something I think we should do. But what you need to do is think not just how do you feel, but how have you behaved? Because core values are not concepts. They are actual behavior. A core value is not about what you say you're going to do, but actually what you do. And whether you say you have core values or not, you do have them. Because all somebody has to do is observe you and observe the people around there. And they'll tell you what your core values are. You just may not be conscious of what they are. Mm -hmm. They might be disrespect. They might be yelling. They might be not giving people a voice. So when you're deciding what your core values are, think about some of the best things that has ever happened to you in the business. When did you have the most joy and feel the most success? And then say, what did we do to get that? Well, we were such a great team. We worked as a team. So maybe teamwork or everything done as a team could be a core value or that you researched something that was obscure. So getting to the bottom of everything, understanding could be a core value for you. It's just look at what big landmarks and milestones you've had and find out the behaviors you had that actually accomplished that. And that will be the start. After you've come up with a list of what you believe they are, then you need to gut check it. You need to ask people who know you, like your spouse is a good one, and ask friends that will be honest with you because the employees may not because they're still a little afraid of it. But if you have really close employees, people who feel almost like a founder to you, ask them, does this sound like me? We had three core values when we started. Two of them turned out to not be true doesn't matter what they are, so I'm not going to tell you, but one of them remained. And we've actually modified that one even. So over time, what we believe to be our core values of three things, only one has remained. 
Then we got up to five and then realized, you know, one of them's really not even a core value. It's just kind of obvious. So then we brought it down to four and changed some of the language. So even your core values can evolve as you over time realize what is true, what is authentic, and what is not. Last questions I wanted to ask you was around a little bit about your background. You yourself said, I was a CPA, hard numbers. I call all of that stuff the business into business hard skills. And I can unfortunately remember many times saying, oh, that soft stuff. I don't like that. I don't like that team culture, wooey gooey, soft things. I like the business end of business. Let's talk strategies, tactics, targets, outcomes, business plans, financial measurements, all that stuff. Just not obviously core values as being a part of that. What is your thoughts around other things to do to embrace for someone who's listening that is more of a hard skills person wanting to learn how to develop more of the soft skills as a, you say in your book, the humanity back in the business. Okay. Right. That sort of thing. Just explain that in your thoughts around those things. Well, maybe just think about, are you really listening to people? You don't have to start with any big experimentation as it relates to money. Are you really respecting that person? Do you believe the person is being the best that they can be and providing the best production for you? And you can decide. Do you want to be the kind of person who yells and commands people to do something? Because if you do, all you're going to get is what you tell them to do. Mm -hmm. And maybe that. If you decide to actually respect them and to be generous and support them, you're going to get more than you tell them. In fact, you expect more because they're going to be smarter about what they're doing than you ever could be. Mm -hmm. So when you give them a task where you tell them this is where we're going and this is what we need to do, they're probably going to come up with something better than what you would have even told them. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to go down a path that says, you know what, I started doing what you said, and you're not going to believe this, but I thought of an easier way to do it. This happened all the time. And that's what you need to be thinking about, I believe, is do you want people to just do what they're told, or do you want people to do more than they're told? And if you want people to do more than they're told, give them some voice, give them some opportunities. And it doesn't mean you delegate everything at the beginning. Delegate small. Ask them, tell me about how you thought about that. What were you thinking when you did? Don't say, what were you thinking? Say, what were you thinking? Tell me about how you approached this. Oh, you did that. Tell me about the thought process there. And as you learn how they think, you will probably get more comfortable with delegating more. Mm. Because look, wouldn't you rather do less? I would. I work really hard, but I'd rather not. I'd actually rather do nothing. Mm. I enjoy it. Yeah. But if I'm going to build myself up to run a company that's doing hundreds of millions of dollars and 500 plus people and integrating with 2,200 stores and 450,000 people at Home Depot, I can't do all the things I used to do. Yeah. And I don't want to do them. Sure. And therefore, I have to delegate. And if I'm going to delegate and have any sanity and any equanimity and peace of mind, I've got to be comfortable with that. And the only way I can do that is to give them voice, let them be the best they can be, and make it accountable, but give them the opportunity to grow. Let's see what they can do. And that requires trust, and they need to trust you too. And that if they do screw up a little bit, you don't just fire them. Mm. You don't yell at them in front of other people. These are little simple things. Mm. Really, nothing I'm saying today, I think, is any great wisdom. It's just common sense. Well, the book is Lead from the Core, the Four Principles for Profit and Prosperity. Congrats on the book. The recording, recording this before we get started, 
now said it was a bestseller on Barnes and Noble. So congratulations for that. Well, where should people go if they want to know more about you? Obviously, pick up a copy of the book. Uh, yeah, you can buy the book anywhere. I've got a website, jsteinfeld.com, all about me. And also, when you buy the book, there's something we have called the core four. Also, it's a workbook. So that when people buy the book, if they just let me know they've bought it, send me the receipt, I'll send them a digital copy of it so they can take the types of things we're talking about and ask some questions where you can facilitate discussions within your own organization. And LinkedIn, I'm all over LinkedIn. And I write for Inc. Magazine as well. So I had one today about if you want to write a book, maybe you should read this article. I think the title was How to Write a Book from a First and Last Time Author. <laughs> but at the end, I actually say, no, nah, I think I'll write another one. I love it. I love it. Enjoying the ride. Are you a golfer? Before I got married. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is the E9 rapid fire questions. Not E9 questions real quick. All right. You ready? All right. Uh-oh. The last book you read. The last book I read was my own. That's good. The book you would recommend the most to other business owners other than your book, Lead from the Core. Okay. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Philosophical book about seeing silver linings. Yeah. Awesome book, for sure. Your favorite travel destination? Thailand. Favorite place that you would want to go anywhere in the world if you can? China. You got a 10-hour flight. You can sit with anybody dead or alive. Who would it be? Benjamin Franklin. Your favorite tech tool or app? Spotify. Yeah. I like Spotify. That's good. Thing you learned the most about yourself during the pandemic? I'm fine working at home. There's a movie made about your life. Who would play you? Woody Harrelson. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Don't think you ever know something. You probably don't. Jay, this has been great. Congratulations on the book. We'll make sure we put the link into the show notes where people can pick it up. Hope to have you back on in the future. Sounds great, Bradley. Thanks for having me. Core Values has come up on this episode or different episodes many, many times with other guests. And truly, I can tell you that if you will take the time to be thoughtful and genuine about installing core values in your organization, you will attract better players who ultimately will help you to be able to grow your business. You'll keep the ones, the A players on your team that you want to be able to keep. And it's not just for economic reasons only. The culture, you'll have a business that is simply more fun to run because you'll be surrounded by people who believe in the same things that you do. And so whenever I first heard about Jay's book coming out, Lead from the Core, I was super excited to have him come on here and share with you his experience because that's coming from someone who built a company that obviously got to the point to where it was being acquired by a behemoth like Home Depot. And you don't do that unless you actually have built a valuable company and not just from a P&L perspective, but the intrinsic value that he was able to bring with his company, Blinds.com, and have that integrated across 2,000 stores with Home Depot. So I truly believe that if you will take the time to be thoughtful about your core values, instilling them in your team meetings, the way that you recruit, the way that you incentivize your team, the way that you hold people accountable, bringing them into your weekly team meetings, bring them into your leadership planning meetings, into everything that you do. And it's not just a one-time event. It's not doing a offside and then painting them on the walls. And look, we do believe in core four and having four because you know how many you have. And it forces you into obviously choosing the ones that really describe who you are. And you can tell by just talking to Jay, I mean, that that organization lived out their core four values. I have a few different companies. Ours are family, class act, growth, and we win. 
within my consulting company, Business Growth Curator, our core four is provide value first and over deliver, growth to contribution, first class experience, positive and energetic teamwork. That is who we are. Take the time to do yours. Make sure you go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, pick up Jay's book, Lead from the Core. Visit his website, jsteinfeld.com. Hey, at the time of this recording, we're late 2021, but by the time this episode drops, it will still be in Q1 of 2022. How's your year gotten off? We've been saying, let's make 2022 your best year yet. In order to make it the best year yet, you need to work with some of the best vendors that are out there. Make sure you go to directclicks, directclicksinc.com. They can help you with your pay-per-click, with your SEO, so your online presence and it's often said that Google, you are who Google says you are, right? Or right, wrong, or indifferent. Make sure that your presence on Google is exactly what you want it to be, that you're visible, searchable, easily findable, and you stand out from the crowd. Speaking of standing out from the crowd, a lot of people will buy promotional materials, but they want to work with somebody who has dealt with people in their industry, but also have unique quality products. That's exactly what Relevant Advantage is going to help you to be able to do the best prices out there, but quality customer service. You actually can get somebody on the phone, talk to them. They can walk you through and come up with different ideas to help you to be able to stand out in your marketplace. Go to relevantadvantage.com. You know how important training and developing is in growing yourself. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to podcasts. But if you're like many business owners, the consistency that's needed, the discipline of training and development within your team is maybe something that doesn't come as natural to you as it does with others. And You also want to learn and grow yourself and you want to develop your team. And there's none other than to work with somebody who's getting it done at the highest level. And that is David Peterson, Coach P Consulting. Go to coachpconsulting.com. Make sure you tell him that you heard about him on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Whether you're wanting to be better just in your marketplace or you want to be the next level, top level in the country, go to coachpconsulting.com. You heard Jay mention that he was a bookkeeper and CPA as well. Well, of course, there's none better that work with insurance agency owners than Club Capital. Go to club.capital, book your no obligation demo, get better analytics, use better numbers on a consistent monthly basis so you can make better decisions in your business in 2022 and beyond. Until next episode, everyone, lead well. (laughs) 